The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey everybody, we are in a series called Welcome to the Jungle. It just started last week. And just let me give you a brief recap. Um, Last week we talked about how the church in Corinth was a bit of a jungle with personalities and issues and problems. And it's really not a lot different than our families and relationships today. So Paul like describes the problems, um, creates some parameters to exist together respectfully and in a healthy way, um, but then drops an entire diatribe about love right in the middle of the mess as if to say you can have all the guardrails you want for existing together, but you've got to love one another. So right at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which I'll get to in just a minute. So that's just a brief recap. You can always go back and listen to the previous message from uh, last week. If you want at grove.church, click on media and you can watch or listen. Um, Michael Jordan, some of my friends had his poster on their wall as kids. Um, I never did, but man, I loved watching him play. In fact, still today, I love watching highlight reels of Michael Jordan. It's just amazing to see him play the game. In fact, right now on ESPN, they're playing a a 10-part series called The Last Dance, and it's recapping the 1997-98 Bulls going after their sixth championship. And it really is fun to watch and see kind of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, But one of the things that that I learned, and I'd heard this before, but I learned more specifically when I was watching the, the first two parts of the series this week, is that um, Michael Jordan was, uh, actually didn't make his varsity basketball team as a sophomore in high school. And you wonder like, well, you know, what, what was going on? What was that about? He simply wasn't good enough. And he went home and he cried to his mom about not making the team. And his mom cried with him. And then um, he, she told him this, if you really want something, you've got to work at it with all you've got. And she goes on to say that after that, that basketball never left his hands. Um, Everybody interviewed says the same thing about Michael Jordan. It's like that was kind of a a switch that got flipped on. And suddenly he went from just being kind of a mediocre, not great player to somebody absolutely amazing. But it was so much diligence. It was so much hard work. And Michael Jordan really is a study in ambition. He became the best and he wouldn't settle for anything less Um, And he was driven like nobody else. When we hear stories like that, I think for all of us, the simple fact is a switch gets flipped on. Um, How many millions of kids around the world, um, you know, put in more time with a basketball because of Michael Jordan? Maybe you're one of those that you think back to your seasons of playing the game and you're like, man, I was inspired by him. How many NBA players today would thank Michael Jordan for his influence on their ability to play the game, on their tenacity in practicing? And honestly, how many of us not even related to sports tried harder at something because we were inspired by his tenacity. It's a little cheesy today, but um, I'm wearing my my MJ's, my old school Jordans uh, just for fun, but just thinking about this series. There's something beautiful about that kind of ambition. Even as a follower of Christ, something rises up inside of me to say, man, if if he can be the best at something, maybe I can be the best at something. What would it look like for me to be the best husband I can be, the best follower of Christ that I can be, the best dad or the best neighbor? What would it look like for me to be the best I can be? And so in our Welcome to the Jungle series, um, you could say that Michael Jordan became the king of the basketball jungle. 
In fact, really, you look at the entire NBA, and, and he's, in fact, in the conversation, not just about basketball, but being the GOAT, the greatest of all time in any sport ever. There's very few athletes in that conversation. You hear about like Tom Brady or Babe Ruth or you know other names, but Michael Jordan is in that conversation, and a lot of people would say he absolutely was the best. It's incredible. So how does this relate to us in our series about family or about relationships as neighbors and friends and coworkers, as dads or aunts or uncles or moms or, you know, kids or whatever? Um, it's one thing to be ambitious in. And you need to follow me here. It's one thing to be ambitious in. How do I work on my communication skills as a parent? How do I become the best husband I can be or become, you know, you know great at, at, at loving my wife well? What does it look like for me to show my neighbors that I care deeply for them? It's another thing to be ambitious in spite of. And again, I'm going to explain, but here's a couple of examples. We read and learn about communication with teenagers so that we can get what we want out of them or that we can show others somehow that we're super smart at our ability to parent and, and teach them how to do it too. Or, or in, in the way of, of dating somebody, we want to prove to, to somebody we're dating to the, the in-law, the future in-laws, you know, that we know how to be married so that they approve of our upcoming wedding plans and we maybe even put on a facade because of it. Or we reach out to a neighbor and we win them over because we realize they work at a place that we want to work and maybe that's an inroad or, or maybe they have something that, boy, it'd be fun to enjoy that with them. They got a boat or a cabin or something and they're sort of an ulterior motive. I said... A minute ago, it's one thing to be ambitious in my love for others. It's another thing to be ambitious in spite of my love for others. It's amazing what can be accomplished. And, and deep down from the outside, nobody can know the difference. But inside, oftentimes, we can know there's an ulterior motive. There's something else going on. And Paul gets to the heart of the issue um, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We can all become kings of a relational jungle. We can all have the admiration of people. And Paul says, but we can still miss the mark. And so let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, from verses 1 to 3. It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and all knowledge. And if I have the faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Let's pray. Father, today, God, as we work through these verses, as we look at what Paul is doing here, it's something deeply meaningful. It goes back to the most excellent way. And so I pray for open hearts. I pray for open minds. I pray this would challenge people in life groups to have honest dialogue, to, to open maybe some of the guards they have around them, to, to converse with others, to dive into meaningful conversation, God. I pray this would challenge spouses to have conversations, families to have conversations, for us to consider how we live in the apartment complex that we're in, the neighborhood that we're in, the places that we go to work. God, I pray for your spirit to help us understand it's one thing to look like the right things are going on. It's another thing deep down to have the right motives in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul says, he jumps in and says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, 
I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The crazy thing is the idea of speaking in, in, in crazy languages is amazing. Really, what he's saying to, in a sense is this, if I have poetic wisdom, if I can speak all kinds of languages, including the language of angels, whatever that might be, if I can wax eloquent and win over a crowd with my tongue, if I'm a great debater, I'm a great poet, maybe I can win Grammy Awards for my lyrics and have, you know, word of the day toilet paper that, that I use my new vocabulary words and I impress others. If I win every spelling bee I ever enter, I'm amazing. I'm a wordsmith. It's incredible. It's kind of like being a Shakespeare meets Ronald Reagan meets John Lennon meets Winston Churchill. I mean, amazing with words. Great. That's a powerful thing. But look at what Paul says. If I don't have love, then you know what? It's empty rhetoric. It's all for nothing. That's a big deal because you think about some of the most amazing things ever written. You think about some of the most incredible poetry put together. You think about the ambition of people and what they can do with their pen. And yet, if their motive isn't right, Paul literally says, it doesn't mean anything for that person. Okay? He goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love. Again, these are wonderful things. If I can show people that I have a grand ability to foresee future events and tell people what's going to happen. That's amazing. If I can explain how everything works in great detail, it makes me think of Solomon. And, and when you know the Lord comes to him and, and kind of says, hey, ha have whatever you want. What do you want? I'll give it to you. And he says, you know what I want? I want wisdom for leading people well. And he has vast wisdom. And people come from all over the place to listen to his wisdom. How amazing is that? If I can explain things in great detail, detail. if my faith is as bold as a lion and, and I can believe God for supernatural miracles and see those things come to pass, that's incredible. That's amazing. If you can perform miracles, you can become a saint in the Catholic church. Incredible. Okay? But look at what Paul says. If it's without love, I'm nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. You can accomplish incredible things with ambition but without genuine love. Paul says it's, it's nothing, okay? He's not done yet. Look at verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to hardship or to the flames that I may boast. Think, think about that. If you took everything you had and you sold it and you went and, and, and gave it to a bunch of suffering people in a third world country, if you traveled there and, and, and helped them invest those things and make the most out of all the resources you have, if you did all that, and then somebody comes along in the midst of it and, and tries to persecute you, and you, you, you surrender and you give yourself over and, 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 and you become a martyr for the faith, those are the kind of people we write about. Those are the kind of novels that we read about. Except, Paul says, if you do all that without love, he, he once again reiterates, you gain nothing. If I don't really care about mankind in my pursuit of sacrifice, Paul says, I make zero progress personally. So what does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with me? In the jungle of relationships, maybe it looks like this. I think of the dad who's so busy climbing the ladder at work that, that he has no time for his wife and his kids. He's rich and he's successful, but as they grow up, 
the family grows apart. I think of the talented teenager who expects the family's budget and calendar to revolve around their social calendar and, and, and rotate around strenuous practice and competition schedules. The trophy case is full, but the family is running on empty. Or the cousin who has a voracious appetite for learning and is always taking in new things and, and, and they, what they do is they become the family know-it-all. Others have tried to explain the problem, but they just can't see it. They always have their opinion. Maybe they could win on who wants to be a millionaire, but they've lost all respect from their family. It can be friendships. It can be romances. It can be work acquaintances. It can be neighbors. But where ambition becomes blind, excuse me, where ambition becomes blind and real love ends up taking a back seat, meaning is lost. Paul is saying this, where there's a void of love, all relationships suffer. Which brings me to the main point for today. When personal ambitions intersect with relationships, something's got to give. There's moments where for every single one of us, personal ambition is going to intersect with relationships and something's got to give. There's no question. When it happens, that's, the, that's what you and I are faced with. That's where most of the time our quarreling comes from. That's where our strife comes from, is when our personal ambitions intersect with the relationships that we care about. Think about it in your own life. Think about how things operate as you go the places you go and spend time with the people you care about. In a previous series, I, I mentioned this point. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. And as you think about that, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. As you think about that, as you study, as you look at what love is, I think you'll find the exact same thing to be true. Paul says if we want to be king of the jungle at any cost, then we'll miss the point. And when you've burned bridges to get to the top, oftentimes people find it's a very, very lonely place. Why? Because love. In fact, go back to what Jesus said in the New Testament when he was questioned about the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you miss that, Paul says, if you miss that, you miss everything. Real quick, in 2 Kings chapter 20, there's a story that's worth looking at. And I'm just going to kind of walk through it here. But in 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 12, it says that, it says this. At that time, Marduk Baladon, son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in the storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the olive oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say? And where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, 
Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Listen to Hezekiah's response. Listen to this. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? See, you could think that Hezekiah was, was trying to help keep the peace so Judah wouldn't be overtaken by Babylon. But in truth, Hezekiah wanted to impress Babylon and put his faith in his own ability to ward off the harm that was coming instead of relying on God's deliverance. Remember, love God, love others. Hezekiah loves self and is relying on himself. When Isaiah, the prophet, comes with a word of destru destruction for, um, for Judah, Hezekiah takes it as good news. It's terrible news. And in the near future, Judah ends up becoming overtaken, and they end up exiled to Babylon as a nation. They don't even exist anymore. And you look at Hezekiah, and he goes, hey, it's good news, only because it protected him, even though the generations after him, his own sons and daughters, would be exiled to Babylon. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the leader of the church in, in Jerusalem during the first century, says this in, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Listen to this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Take a look at the relationships around you. When things become strained, when there's, as James says, disorder, could it be because someone has prioritized their own ambitions at the cost of other people? Could it be because real love is lacking? Eugene Peterson wrote the message version of this text this way, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all its mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, listen to these words, I'm bankrupt without love. That's why Paul continues by describing what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't end. And we're going to get to those words as we navigate the next few weeks ahead. We'll get to that. But for today, let's do this. I want to consider a few questions as we end. And these are great questions for you to ask yourself. I encourage you to write these down. They're great questions for you to navigate um, as, as a life group. If you're in one, I hope you are. And if you're not, I encourage you to consider getting in one. You can email info at grove.church and inquire. We'd love to get you in a life group. Here's some questions. Am I ambitious for the right things? 
Where do my ambitions come from? And where will they lead if I accomplish them? Is that really where I want to go? Am I getting to them the right way? Let me go back. This is all kind of one question. So sorry, it's, it's kind of a lot here. Am I ambitious for the right things? Where do my ambitions come from? And if they lead me, is it really where I want to go? And am I getting to those ambitions the right way? Second question, do my personal ambitions hurt or help others? How so? Do my personal ambitions hurt or help others? How so? Third one, am I contributing to my friendships in a way that displays selflessness? Am I contributing to my friendships in a way that displays selflessness? A couple more here. Are the people I care about better off because of how I treat them? Are the people I care about better off because of how I treat them? The last question. Is my neighborhood or workplace or community better off because of the love I show for them? I'll keep this shorter, so I'll say it this way. Is my community better off because of the love I show for them? How so? And if there's room for improvement, what does it look like? I'm going to end for today with a prayer, but thanks for taking the time uh, listening today, hopefully being challenged by this message. If you're not a note taker, I encourage you Sunday to Sunday to be a note taker, but let me pray. Father, today I'm grateful for your work in all of our hearts. God, as you, as you, you don't discourage us about ambition. It's great that we're ambitious. You, you encourage us to be zealous. You encourage us to, to be passionate about living for a purpose. But Paul is saying without love, all of that ambition doesn't mean anything. God, I pray that would grip our hearts. I pray we would all realize that there will become an intersection in our lives of our ambition, our personal ambition with the relationships around us and something could suffer. And I pray for each of us to listen to your Holy Spirit, convicting us, Lord, where any of those things might be off. Love matters. Help us live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.